0: This is the Horse Radio Network.
1: This is episode 90 of the Dressage Radio Show, brought to you by Back on Track, with the generous support of Kentucky Performance Products and Equestrian Collections. <laughs> I'm Chris Stafford, and joining me this week to discuss a topic of interest to the sport is Lendon Gray and Debbie Macdonald. The question I'll be putting to them is: Does being a good rider qualify you to become a good teacher? Well, welcome, Lendon and Debbie. Um, Debbie, since we last spoke, you had a horrible fall last week. How are you?
2: I um, I'm doing okay. I definitely still have um, headaches, pretty bad ones. But I just, you know, I feel very lucky, and again, um, I have Courtney to thank for that. Because until Courtney's accident, I was not one that wore a helmet faithfully. But ever since her accident, I have, and I really, truly, and the doctors feel that it saved me from a from a serious brain injury.
1: Because I believe you were launched head first. From a young horse? I was.
2: They said I shot like an arrow and hit like Christopher Reeves with my head. I didn't even have my arms in front of me.
1: Well, Lyndon, this is something you can relate to, having watched your good friend Courtney King die, of course, uh, having uh, had that awful accident herself that um, Debbie is referring to.
3: Well, thank goodness, Debbie, you were wearing a helmet because I would certainly hate to see anyone else have to go through what
2: Courtney and her family has gone through. Oh, my gosh. I hear you there.
1: Well... Well, we're delighted that you are on the mend, Debbie, and and what a good sport you are to come on the show and join in our topical conversation this week, um, which we began, of course, a few weeks ago with a different topic. And I have to say thank you to all of you who wrote in and left messages for me um, how much you enjoyed that. And some of you commented that was one of the best shows that we've ever done here on the Dressage Radio Show. So um, fortunately... Uh, we've been uh, blessed to have um, Lendon and, and Debbie to come back very graciously and spend time to to help unravel some of the questions I think that uh, amongst us we felt need to be presented and discussed in the sport. So uh, let's begin with you, Lendon, because I know you had a, um, an instructional weekend, didn't you, a couple of weekends ago, which prompted more questions in your mind.
3: Yes, Dressage for, for Kids, uh, I think it was our ninth, what we call our weekend educational program, which we have uh, lectures for just about anyone, but uh, this was the third time we had an endi- entire day um, dedicated also to instructors, not on uh, what they should teach, you know, writing theory, but on how to teach Um how to, how people learn, different ways of of, um, uh, approaching lessons, uh, and various subjects around uh, making you a better teacher. Um, The horse world, and I don't know about other sports, but certainly in the horse world, um, I feel that we, myself included, I became... An instructor because I was successful as a rider, and um, I was a very long time before I got myself some education and you know uh, a little uh, psychology and and how people learn how pe- how you can teach how you can approach how you can help your students uh, as a teacher.
1: Well, Debbie, of course, you can relate to this. You know, once once you get onto the U.S. team or any team, national team, you are then raised in, in the minds of a lot of the um, riding population to be heroes and heroines and expectations are put upon you. And I think one of those things is that you can ride so well, you're successful in the show ring, so therefore you must be able to teach.
2: That's very true, and um, I agree completely with Lyndon and the fact that, um, you know, I was thrown into teaching quite young when I was in the hunter-jumper world, and, um, you know, it it was one of those situations where um, I didn't have a lot of education and kind of, you know, um, learned as I went, let's say, and... I think another point that that leads to becoming a good teacher, and I'm interested to hear how Lyndon feels about this is I know as, I know myself um, writing when I started, um, I was not a natural. Um, it, you know, I had to work at what I what I did and and had to learn how to feel things. And um, I do believe that that sometimes some of the better teachers, are the writers that didn't come completely natural to because then they learn i think how to to instruct a person who's having or struggling with a situation that they can kind of sympathize with and um, and sometimes i feel that the good writers are good writers because it's an it's a god given talent that they just have a natural feel and um uh, and really can't sometimes even describe how they're doing it. It's something that they just do. And sometimes the best riders aren't the best trainers or aren't the best coaches.
3: I think this is so true. My, one of my, you know, idols was Herbert Rabine, and I think he was a wonderful example. He was an amazing rider and trainer. But he wasn't so great at, at putting it across in words. Um, and I think... Part of this also, you can relate this to how do people learn. I, for example, learn by watching. Let me see it, and I'll be pretty good at figuring out how to do it. Talk to me. Give me long theory lectures while I'm on my horse, and my eyes will glaze over. And uh, that's just the way I learn. And um, so if i wasn't a visual learner like that going to someone like say herbert Rabine probably wouldn't have been very successful if he had had to go into detail and explain exactly where my left leg went and my right hand um that that wouldn't have worked so well but for me it it was it was fantastic so we we um uh, need to know we need to understand As as students, how we learn, and as teachers, we need to understand how our students uh, best can process the information. But I agree wholeheartedly with Debbie. I think it can be much better to go to someone who really had to learn how to do things rather than someone who just does it instinctively. Those people have a very difficult time, very often, uh, sharing their knowledge because it's not so much knowledge, it's, it's feel. It's a God-given talent.
1: It's yeah, feel. I it's agree. intuition, isn't it? And I think there are other elements to this that I'd like to address too, is, is one's ability to communicate and how you communicate that. And it, There's the visual interpretation. There's the examples. There's, there's all those components of being a teacher, which, you know, in the human world, you would have to go to school to learn to teach,
2: right? <laughs>
3: Exactly. Yeah. And um, I, I, when I'm looking at people and myself, uh, when I'm looking at people teach, are they teaching, which I think of as having a little bit of a lesson plan, you know, what is it we're doing, why are we doing it, how are we doing it, we practice it, we we get uh, a, a critique on what we're doing and we practice some more, or... Are you what I call coaching, which is saying, oh, a little more angle, a little more forward, keep your right hand up, um, which is looking at a student and expecting them to basically be knowing what they're doing, and you're just there fine-tuning it. And I think very often we see a whole lot more coaching and not so much actual teaching.
2: I I agree with that 100%. I think... um, I think that's what um, a lot of the riders coming up through the um, through the levels kind of see out in the warm up areas, and you know they're saying if, when they have a little bit of success, they're saying, "Well, I can I can do that," and I think that's why it's pretty easy for everybody in the world to just hang a sh- hang a shingle out, and they go a lot on by what they've done as to how successful they are as far as. Um, customers or whatever, um, but that will, again, only take you so far, and then the, the, those people will seek someone that really can teach, and that is definitely a, a somebody that has dedicated, um, I believe, their life to being able to teach and not just be a, a rider. and and not just be a coach.
1: Well, we're going to take a short break, and then when we come back, we're going to address some of the other aspects of this subject.
0: Listeners have been asking why back-on-track products work, and what is the science behind them? Well, they have evolved from a combination of ancient Chinese wisdom and modern science as well as skilled textile production. This result is a polyester polypropylene fabric with a ceramic powder that's melted into the fabric's very own weave. The ceramic particles reflect body heat as an infrared wave, a form of energy with a highly documented pain relieving effect. This reflected heat helps to ease inflammation, reduce muscle pain, and increase blood circulation. Back on Track products can be used to warm up your horse's muscles before exercise, thus reducing the risk of strains or injury. Most importantly, the product's dual capacity to prevent injury, as well as ease and expedite the recovery of already present injuries, is what makes Back on Track products so unique. I hope that helps as to why their products are so effective. Visit them at BackOnTrackProducts.com. That's BackOnTrackProducts.com.
1: Well, Lyndon, I'm sure you will agree that with the many young people that you see coming into the sport and being launched into the professional world, there is also, of course, the, I mean, the the inevitable subject of the lure of the dollar and the, you know, how they get into it could be that, well, someone says, well, gosh, I'd love to have a lesson from you. How much do you charge?
3: that that's kind of how a lot of people start i think um it's not even not even a plan it's just it's just something that happens and okay that's that's as good a way to get started i guess as any i just challenge all these young people to uh put in at least a, a, a percentage of the time and effort that they put into their riding and um making themselves better riders and making their horses better, put a percentage of that time into learning what we talked about, how to teach, how to analyze students, how to uh, recognize different types of learning, and to broaden their experience in being able to um, explain what they're doing. Um you know, when I do teaching seminars, one of the things I, I often do first is if we're in a room sitting in a chair, I'll say, okay, teach me how to pick up a pen. Now, that's something we all do. We have no problem doing, but very few people can put it into words and have me react properly and explain to me why, I, why I'm doing it. Um, so along those lines, I encourage. I do this myself. Every so often when I'm teaching, I'll make sure that every single thing I say to that student, I say, why and how? And that means go across the diagonal. Why am I telling them to go across the diagonal? Do you have an absolute reason for every single thing you're telling that student, or is it just sort of an automatic words out of your mouth?
1: Debbie, I think this also could be uh, viewed from the other angle too. When uh, listening to a lot of clinicians and teachers, they focus not focus on that rather than the outcomes. So, which do you which do you put first into your methodology? Of course, your teaching methods here, Lendon, but it speaks to that. But do you see that, Debbie, that that people are? Um, are more about you know put your heels down, hold your hands like this, you know, um, cross the diagonal, whatever it may be, without explaining the outcomes. Why you're what what this is the journey. Why are you trying to reach wow. it? What are the outcomes?
2: Yes, I, you know I do I do see that a lot. Um, I have also seen people that do um, explain the reason why. If you your outside hand is is too high, how the horse is going to tilt or or if you, you know, don't ride into your corners, you're not gonna be able to prepare for your next movement. I mean, yes, I mean they're they're I see both sides completely and um I agree with Lyndon. I mean, I am of the big philosophy as well that people need to understand why and what the what the consequences are gonna be if you do this and um Another point I'd like to bring out is: is a good teacher will also recognize um, a person, a person's ability to accomplish something as well, and not um, go beyond that that point where they then become frustrated, and it's not even really a possible um, situation yet. So I think it's it's also the mind part of a teacher the mentality part of knowing when you can overdo a rider and take them beyond what their abilities are at that moment and frustrating them as well. I think it's got to stay a positive for both the horse and the rider.
1: Lyndon, can we separate these two things now? Teaching the rider and training the horse. Uh, Well,
3: so often we're sort of I mean, what a difficult task we have before us because very often we're kind of doing both. We're, we're helping a rider to learn to use his body correctly to, to understand the, the process of, of uh, bringing a horse along all at the same time. And um, that's where I think we have to often step back and say, is the problem with the horse because of the rider? Is the problem of the rider because of the horse i mean we we have i think a much more difficult task than many other sports instructors because we do have both of these um, but i you know i keep in i have in my mind personally a difference between a teacher who is basically working with a rider and um uh Helping the rider to become better, and a trainer hopefully the trainer can get on the horse and um, make the horse better uh, and in my own personal case where I can no longer ride, I'm having to to train horses through my my uh, rider students um, but I do think you're you're correct we need to keep those two things a little bit separate in our minds. Even though we're often doing both. But are you trying right now to make the horse better? Or are you trying right now to make the rider better? I often find myself saying to a rider, you know, we're not going to worry about the horse right now. He may, you know, muddle around a little bit. This is for your benefit, not for the horse's benefit. Or vice versa. So I think we need to have those, we need to make sure we have in our mind, which are we doing?
1: It is yeah. a chicken and an egg, isn't it, Debbie? And, and I, I think one of the other, the other topics that I think we should address here, and which I think is a challenge in this country, not so much in Europe, but in this country, is the lack of formal training. As you both know, in, in the UK where I grew up, of course, we had the British Horse Society system, a whole ladder of qualifications. You started at the bottom and you climbed your way up. And other European countries have similar systems. And one of the things you learn at a very early age is to become an instructor. and And I remember when I was at equitation school at the raw age of 16, One of the things we had was what we called yard ponies, ponies that we jumped on to teach us to ride, first of all. And it didn't matter, you know, the ponies could get pulled all over the place, and they would be by his students. But it was teaching us to ride first, and then it was quite separate to teach you to become an instructor and teach other people.
2: Yeah, I I mean, it is true. I think that that is something that we do not have as large of access to here as there, there are in the, you know, like Germany and Holland and places like that.
1: How do we overcome that, Lyndon?
2: Oh, that's a
3: question people have been been asking for years. And, and even in the past, uh, there were efforts to, to set up um, facilities to... Uh, Fill in that gap, and unfortunately, they weren't able to financially make it. Um, I'm, you know, from my little room here, I'm trying to encourage, by example, I guess, more programs, just as we ran this past weekend around the country, um, to just, you know, not it's it's not the cure all, but isn't every little bit of knowledge we can gain about ourselves, how we teach, how we learn, how we relate, how we can help our students isn't that a good thing and and I wish personally that that uh, more people would offer you know a little weekend program and encourage the um, professionals to come and and it's really in the program that we run, it's not for dressage. It's for anybody. It's, it's teaching. Um, and, um, you know, maybe more articles. I mean, I, I wish we could, but I wish we could have a one year program that every writing instructor has to pass on how to teach. <laughs> but yes. that's not going to happen, I don't think.
1: <laughs> you, you, but, you, say get get
3: you say it's Excuse not going to happen.
1: You say it's not going to happen, though, Lyndon. I mean, some of the things you're doing, are, you know, are, are sterling efforts to educate people in the need for this. Uh, Debbie, you were going to come in there. What, do, you, do you think it would never happen? I uh-huh.
2: have I agree with Lyndon. I mean, what Lyndon has done is is amazing, and and the efforts that she's putting forward to to try to keep this rolling is amazing. But unfortunately, um, it isn't going to be done by one person. And the mentality in general of the way we approach things in this country is a little bit differently. Um, we're a country that you know feels like if we want it, we can get it, and we can buy it, and um, it's just not—it's just not taken the same over there in Europe. I mean, people, all the kids start out in programs, and and that program continues into another program, and that's just not the case here. And it's just very difficult, I think, to—I mean, certainly we have to keep trying, but. Um, I don't think in my lifetime that I will see that happen. Well,
3: but you know, if if I can just take a slightly different direction here, we've been talking about the teachers. I would like to speak to the students, which we, we all are to one degree or another. But those of you who are working under an instructor. Um, how many have had the courage to say to instructor, you know, I have a hard time learning the way you're doing it. You know, you're always, for me, it would have been you're always stopping me and giving me these long, you know, little theory lectures out here. And could you just go out and show me? And that would help me to understand better. Or it might be vice versa. In other words, as students. Can we, in a positive way, encourage our instructors to uh, analyze a little bit how they're approaching what we do and make sure that they understand, that your instructor understands what kind of a learner you are, how it it would work best for you, and to be willing to say, you know, could we sit down just a minute, could we stand here in this corner a minute and, and let me explain why I'm having trouble? I think we could help our instructors be better instructors, teachers, by doing that.
1: That's a very good point. I was going to come to that, the methods of learning as well. Let's take a short break, and we'll come back and address that a little bit more.
0: For every year now, we've been telling you about all the cool things happening at Equestrian Collections and the variety and selection of products they have at fantastic prices. But today we want to talk to you a little bit about their social networking and what a community they have built on Facebook. If you go to Facebook and search for Equestrian Collections, you're going to find that over 20,000 fans are now following Equestrian Collections on Facebook. And and the reason is they have a dynamic community built over there. You know, on uh, most store sites, most company sites... On Facebook, we'll just promote product and things like that. That's not what happens on Equestrian Collections. Yeah, there's a little bit of that, but mostly it's the community sharing pictures, talking about stories, asking questions of each other. It's an active, vibrant community, like a little forum right there on Facebook. Search for Equestrian Collections on Facebook or stop over to EquestrianCollections.com for all of your horse and rider needs.
1: You mentioned... Lendon you know the methods of learning what kind of a learner young people are and I think this also um, we could put the onus on these young people before they make the assumption that they're good riders and therefore can teach and therefore can hang their shingle out if they've got all the pieces of the pie together themselves, uh, do they have the dedication to learning and learning from others in methods of teaching? What is successful? And of course, what is successful for them? And, you know, as you said, some people learn better by by, visual, by visualizing it. Some people learn better verbally. Some people learn better by reading it. Let's just talk a little bit about that in your experience, Lyndon, and how those pieces can be put together. And I know you, you obviously, you, you teach this in your own programs. Um,
3: I think, well, I mean, I don't teach it. I, I bring in experts to teach it, first <laughs> of all. You know, when I go to a clinic now to, to watch someone, you know, uh, teaching a clinic, I'm at least, I would say now at my point in my career, 75% of what I'm getting from that is how is that person putting it across? And twenty five percent is new knowledge and new ways of saying things. Um, so from the beginning, from these young people, when they go, for example, to a clinic, or when they're having their own lessons, are they, yeah, getting the knowledge that they're, they're need for their writing, but also? Instead of just saying, Okay, I can I can do pre Saint George, therefore I'm gonna now start teaching riding and somebody's willing to come and pay me money um, do, are they taking it seriously? Are they looking at it as a profession? Mm. Or is it simply a way to finance their own riding career?
1: That's a I think very that's
2: probably yes. Yeah.
1: So. Yeah, that you've really hit it on the head there, Lyndon. Debbie, your thoughts on that?
2: Yeah, I agree. And I would I would probably have to say that um, the majority are doing it to to help fund what they want to continue doing. Um, You know, and and that is. uh, I think that that's a very good question to put out there, because it makes you really think about who's teaching you and why are they teaching you
1: their motives. And, you know, we mentioned earlier the dollar. And, you know, is that the sole motivation thinking, well, you know, I want to be a professional rider, but I have to fund this. And the one thing I can do is impart my knowledge. Whether I have the tools, the right tools to impart the knowledge is another question. And I want to come back to you, um, Lendon, on the subject of clinicians. And also, Debbie, get your input on this, because you both, obviously you're both clinicians as well. We see clinicians cropping up all over the country and traveling and and charging uh, handsome fees for being clinicians. And obviously, getting more people together in any one day, getting through that many more lessons. What do you see, Lendon, first of all, in terms of the quality of the clinicians? Are we facing the same challenges as we are with teachers that they just assume that they can be clinicians as well?
3: I think that that's that's often the case um uh, but i think um I think that clinician I'm not sure I'd be interested in debbie's thought. do the clinician sort of you know the good ones continue, and you know you'll go to a big name person for a clinic once and you don't get anything from it, you're not going to go again um So the clinicians that are going to the same place regularly, I would feel good about them. But the clinicians who are kind of a one-shot deal here, there, and everywhere, what are they leaving in their wake? Um, You know, I always feel... With a clinician, and I I say this sometimes when I'm doing a clinic, you know, the the lovely thing here is I can come in, I can give you these just amazing, brilliant ideas, and your horse improves dramatically today, and then when I leave and on Monday, you can't do any of it by yourself, but I don't care, I've left. Now it's up to your teacher to pick up the pieces. (laughs) Um, That's what happens with a lot of clinics, I, I see it with my own students, uh, you know, they'll go and the clinician does something that works beautifully for that moment, but either it's not going to work long term or the student doesn't really understand and the regular teacher, the the day-to-day teacher, is there to, you know, re-explain it, explain why it, you know, only works occasionally, explain uh, to the student, you know, this is what he was trying to get across and, and help them to learn it. So. The, 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 it's, to me, it's a little easier in many ways to be a clinician because it does. You know, you're a one shot deal. You don't have to make it work day after day after day after day after day. What do you think, Deb?
2: I totally agree with you. I think uh, as a clinician, um, you know, it's not. I don't go around and, and watch a lot of them, um, but I, I have heard a, even a few people say things to the effect that. God, clinics are so easy because you can go in and make anybody look good for for two days and then you get out of there, you know. I mean, so definitely I believe that is the case. And, um, and I think that also what London says, I think the clinicians that you see being asked back to the same places is kind of letting you know that those people are getting something out of that and therefore... Um, You know, that is somebody that is obviously trying to pass along more than just, you know, sliding through it to get the money they needed, but to actually pass on education and and making people understand why it helps to do this and so they can continue on after you're gone for two days. And then hopefully you can go back and have some consistency. I know as far as I'm concerned, I love to go back to places on a more regular basis than to just bounce around the country here and there every now and then because, because then you really see what's happening and you have a little input on, on things going in a better direction where if you go in once and then you go back maybe once a year, I mean, that's really not, in my opinion, a clinician cannot do anything one time in a year to do anybody any good. Two days cannot fix, you know, the years of of training that have to come along.
1: The other element to to the clinician, the role of the clinician, I I just want to bring up, and I don't feel that there is a solution to this because it's where we started. When you've had the success in the show ring, as you two have as Olympians, there is an expectation from the public, from the riding public, from your fans from the people that have followed the sport, no matter what level, that you should be now their, te- suddenly you're their hero, you're their mentor, you you should be their teacher. And in, in a lot of cases, and I do see this often, there are riders that get, get the, asked around the country to have clinics and people will flock to watch them because of who they are, not because they're good clinicians, but they'll keep coming back. And they'll keep getting paid to host these clinics, to teach and to spread the word and to, you know, make DVDs and to write books. And it's not because they're good communicators or good teachers. I'm putting this out there to both of you, but I don't see that there is necessarily a, a, a fix to
2: this. No, Again, I, I think, think like with... Go ahead. Go ahead. You go, Linda, first.
3: <laughs> well, I was just going to repeat a little bit what I said before. I think those gradually we don't see them doing it so often um, because they aren't asked back to the same place again. Um, but as as you know, to repeat what I, I've said in the past, you know, I went to the Olympics. It took a few weeks, and I came back, and I certainly didn't learn all that much while I was there, but. As you said, I was the instant celebrity, and I think if we look at it a little that way, you know, what is the, the long-term success of this person, or is it simply one person who has clicked with one horse once and, um, yes, had great success, but what, what have they been doing for the last 10 years, and what are they continuing to do um, since they left the Olympics? That's, that's what we want to be paying a little more attention to.
2: Yeah. That's basically what, what, uh, the way I was going to, I mean, you know, it's, you know, obviously in our sport, um, even though our sport is very small in comparison to the football and the baseball, we do have the few that, that are basically, like you said, um, heroes in the sport. And, um, and I think that that is a good thing because I think if we don't even have that, then it's, it's even even less important. But I do feel that um, I think the success comes from what that person will do, like London said, after those days are gone, have they dedicated more of their career now to the coaching and or the the teaching, and less writing? Or are they still doing a lot of riding and still left teaching because that's still easier for them? Because there still are a lot that still can get on those horses and ride them and then have somebody else get on them immediately after, and they go, oh, my God, I've never had this horse feel like this. And so they sometimes get a false sense of what is, again, a good teacher and a good trainer. And that's kind of where I see that happen a lot. Yeah, I think
3: that that, that uh, being able to get on the horse and fix it is terrifically useful for the student because the student can, can then feel what it can be, but does it really help the student to find it? Not a one-shot deal. That student isn't, unless it's a terrifically gifted student, that student isn't going to find that feel by itself. That's the day-to-day-to-day to day to day that the Homegrown. The home teacher has to be able to help the student with not just having a, a wonderful writer come in and and fix it. Um, yes, it can help a little, but it's. Just it almost in some ways it makes it worse, more difficult because now you know what it can feel like, and now you get even more frustrated because you can't make it happen yourself. And then, in many cases, you get in your own way because you're trying so hard to get that feeling back, but you don't have the knowledge, you don't see the 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 day to day progress, the steps up the ladder that you're going to have to use to get to that point. And uh, so then you get frustrated as a writer.
2: Yeah, and I and I think sometimes, too, I've seen a lot of, of, uh, of teachers out there that do get very frustrated when they can't get that across, and they will say, um, let me get on. And so they get on, and they do make the horse look better and fix maybe the situation for the moment, and then they again put the, the student back on to find out it still isn't really fixed, and more frustration comes in and that's um you know that's where i see the the teaching part where it lacks where that that one ri- that rider is really a good rider not really a good teacher and those are the ones that do get very frustrated and would rather just get on the horse and ride it and be done with the lesson than to actually have to sit there and work hard with that writer to try to get that point across or to get that moment, that feeling that they could maybe duplicate again in another lesson.
3: Yeah. yeah. And it's made me, since I've had to give up writing, it, it sure has challenged me to become a better teacher uh, because I cannot do that. And uh, boy, it's hard. It can be really hard sometimes to to work through that. And there are times that definitely I could, I could help the student better by being able to get on and either fix it, help the horse to understand what we're after, or to show the student. But I no longer have that available to me. Yeah.
1: Well, let's take another short break, and when we come back, we'll round up this question and uh, I'll get Lendon and Debbie's thoughts on some of the things that we should be asking ourselves.
0: Hi, everyone. Glenn the Geek here. Kentucky Performance Products has become a favorite of many listeners of the Horse Radio Network. They have a product that we want you to consider called Contribute. Take a listen to episode 14 of the Tack and Habit radio show, and you will hear a complete discussion on this product with Delia from Kentucky Performance Products. Contribute is the omega-3 fatty acid supplement that is so important to your horse's well-being. Contribute helps maintain soundness and longevity by protecting joints from damaging inflammation and sustains a strong immune response in horses of all ages. Learn all about omega-3 and 6 fatty acids and why they are so important by listening in at tackandhabit.com, episode 14, or go to kppusa.com for more information. That's kppusa.com.
1: Well, we've raised several topics here Lyndon and Debbie. And I think, you know, there's a lot of questions that we can put back out there to our audience around the world, because, you know, some of them may be enjoying a formal system, some of them may not, they'll be going to people that don't have the credentials. And I'd like you to to add your thoughts to this. What else? We should advise our listeners, apart from choosing the right teacher and obviously questioning their credentials and are their credentials, quote unquote, based on their competition results or of their ability to be a good teacher or coach. And then to urge those riders who are teaching to ask themselves if they themselves feel that they're good teachers or are they just uh, banking the check at the end of the day. Uh, Your thoughts uh, as we wrap this up, Debbie?
2: Well, first of all, I think um, I think you have to, if you're, if you're a, a customer looking for a, for a trainer or a teacher, you need to, to know what you want to get from that person. And if you don't get it, then, you know, you have to maybe reevaluate. Re- um, but either way you look at it, it's, it's a situation where becoming a good teacher is also through time. I mean, it's not you get you become a better teacher as you learn to teach as you teach. So it's to me, it's something even today that I still always am getting a little better at um, just because of of the little the the more experience I get at it. um, The different horses and riders that are that are put in front of me and challenge me. Um, And I don't think that even if uh, there's a young Little, a young person out there that's trying to become a, a coach and a teacher that, you, you know, there are some really good ones out there that are young and, and really want to be good teachers. And I think those are the ones that, you know, I love to see people support because they will only get better if this is what they really have a passion to do. And um, it's not always just the same the same old, same old. I mean, there's a lot of good people coming up in our sport, and I've seen them teach, and I I think that it's exciting to see them teach. And um, I just would tell people that just going to the big name isn't really always the answer.
3: I think it often isn't the answer. And I just would add to what Debbie said. I cringe when I think back to how I, quote, unquote, was teaching uh... in past years and um, thank goodness people stuck with me long enough that i'm you know i've gotten better and better and better i think and and will continue to get better but um, um, you know uh, i wish how i wish that i had acknowledged a long long time ago that uh... i needed to pay more attention to to how i how i was teaching how i was getting the word across and um um, how I could help my students more, I expected my students to learn the way I learned, and it never occurred to me for the longest time that people learned different ways, and that the way I learned wasn 't the same way everyone else did. but I also want to put the challenge out also to the students at whatever level whether they 're learning to post or you know about to ride their fourth. Grand Prix horse and competition to um take the responsibility for being a good student and um augmenting their knowledge in every way that they can and not just expect it to come from the one person. And as Debbie said, my final thought, um don't be afraid as a student to say, you know, this isn't the instructor for me. This isn't the teacher for me. I need to find someone who matches me better in my goals and in my way of learning. And, um, it's not that it's not a defeat for either the instructor or the student. You know, we all have someone that we can work with, um, more successfully and there's nothing wrong with saying you know this isn't the right person I've got to find a a person who can can help me better
1: absolutely Uh, very good advice and and I think uh, really what's summing this up uh, Lendon and Debbie we have answered that question that we posed at the beginning of the program does being a good rider qualify you to become a good teacher I think the answer emphatically is no and, I agree. and Debbie, uh, I think, uh, you, you know, you go out there all the time as, as as an Olympian and you watch these young people coming into the sport. I bet you wish that you could put them into a formal system that had government support, as some of the countries do, and train them to be instructors. And I know uh, Lendon's sitting there saying, here, here, I wish we did, right? For
2: sure. Well, there's, for sure. I mean, there's no doubt. I mean... Um Without good teachers, our sport can't keep progressing. And um, I think that's why as a country we fall behind a few others, because we don't have that support. And it's people like London who go out of their way to really make these programs happen that you know everybody owes a lot to because there aren't very many people out there like London. And, and London, you really do an f- amazing, fabulous job. and. <laughs>
3: Well, I just want to show that it can be done, and then hopefully other people will realize they can do it as well, because it's not that big a thing. It's just doing it, going out and doing it.
1: (laughs) Absolutely. And, And that dedication to learning and to learning how to do things right... And a general attitude, that's uh, well. That's what the sport's all about. So I want to thank my guests this week, Debbie MacDonald and Lyndon Gray, for addressing this subject. I hope that you found it helpful. And, of course, as always, we love to hear your feedback on the topics we discuss here and invite topics of, from your ideas for the debate on this program. So do send those over to me, chris at horseradionetwork.com. Again, my thanks to Debbie. And get well soon, Debbie.
2: Oh, thank you. I will.
1: <laughs> and, Lyndon, I know you're heading to, to Florida to the sunshine.
2: Uh, going down this afternoon
3: for a few days, but then I've got to come back to my snow. <laughs> <laughs>
1: well, continued good work, both of you, in teaching and training and teaching other people to be good trainers, too. And uh, thanks again to all of you around the world for listening. I will be back same time, same place. Thank you.
3: Thank you, Chris.